and Dawkins. The great scientist Dawkins says, the universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. Don't kid yourself that you're going to live again after you're dead. You're not. Make the most of the one life you've got. Live it to the full. My thoughts, my beliefs, my feelings are all in my brain. and My brain is going to rot. There's no mention of God in this section. And that's the point. Our frustration with the absence of God and the futility of life should drive us to the one who gives us the answers. And so if we were to look at this and try to put it in the context of the Bible, this is absolutely, perfectly the best assessment of life from Genesis 3.15 on. All he is doing is saying, this is what life in a fallen world apart from God looks like. And that is the principle we can draw from this text. Apart from God, people gain nothing from all their toil. Is that true? Did Jesus believe apart from God, people gain nothing from all their tool? Is that the way it is? Is that what Jesus believed? Jesus believed that apart from God, life is meaningless. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? The answer, nothing. For what what can man give in return for his soul? Paul believed this. James did too. Life is marked by monotony. It's tied together with transients. It's represented by repetition. There's nothing new. It's incredibly insignificant, displaying dissatisfaction. We're all preoccupied with the volatility of the economy, the possibility of wealth, the fragility of our health, and the negativity of politics. Reality reality doesn't change because we want it to. In fact, the New Testament talks about futility quite a bit. Romans 1.21 For although they knew God, they did not honor God or give thanks to Him, but they became, and here's that same word, the Hebrew, abel, it's in the Greek, it's futile. They became futile in their thinking. That you can listen to all those philosophers speak and you can think, wow, they're negative. Because they knew God, did not honor God, nor give thanks to Him. They became foolish in their thinking and their foolish hearts, futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise. Here are the smartest people in the world, and they are futile. Ephesians 4.17, Now I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Well, how do they walk? In the futility of their minds. It is worked out in life that Jesus came to change us. Jesus came to bring meaning to us to life, even life on a fallen earth. His ways were truly out of this world. Look at John 8, 23. He said to them, you are from below. You're from this earth. You're from under the sun, to use Solomon's language. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. And he goes on in 31 to say, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed to him, if you abide in my word, if you trust and remain in what I say to you, You are truly my disciples, my followers, my learners. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Set you free from what? From this monotony of things called life. Jesus spoke of life so much. Did you know that 
I saw this this week. In all seven of his I am statements, there's discussion of life. In the first one, he said, I am the bread of life. In the second, you should see up there, he is the light of the world. It doesn't say life there right in the first statement, but on he says, I am the light of life. In the door, he doesn't say that any use any word life, but he's the door to salvation, which brings eternal life. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. In the next one in John 11, he's the resurrection and the life. John 14, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And the final one, he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. It doesn't use the word life, but it's the idea of sustaining life. Jesus Christ came to give us life. He came into this world that Solomon speaks so accurately about to give us life. And he has conquered death, and he is making all things new. Amen? All things. What does all things mean in the Greek? It's it's a fascinating study. It means all things. You're supposed to laugh at that. So those of us who are in Christ, he calls us new creation. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. For those who of us are in life, our life is not in vain. Paul said it like this, and you can see it up there. To live is Christ. To die is gain. That means while Paul said, while I'll go on living, I'll live for you. But if I die, it's far better for me because I get to be with Jesus. But we better have an understanding of what life looks like apart from God. And that is exactly what Solomon gave us in Ecclesiastes 1, 1 through 11. Life is fleeting. Life can be disappointing. Let's just be honest. It, it, it is fleeting. I'm 40 wonderful, and I, I'm not promised tomorrow. And it can be disappointing. And it's bearable. And it can be enjoyable. Listen to these words from the psalmist. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. Sounds like Jesus in John 10, long before Jesus in John 10. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Even in the natural process of life, it goes on and on and on. God made it so. It is okay if you are in Christ, even in the Old Testament, the salvation that comes through the Lord. We look back to the cross. They were looking forward to to the cross. This is the day. You should have a handout in front of you written by Michael Kelly, who works for Lifeway Christian Publishers. Michael Kelly has a two-year-old boy that had cancer. And often when that happens to a young child, the first thing you hear out of everybody's mouth, sometimes even Christian's mouth, is life, that is not fair. Now, you don't want to lead with Ecclesiastes 1, 1 through 11 when you're ministering to people in this situation. But looking back on that, that is just not an accurate statement. I was talking to a gentleman yesterday, talking about his uh, little girl that had passed away. And he said, you know what? That was a planned pregnancy. 
He said it was planned because God knew what would happen to us. And I, I just stopped right there. I said, that, that is brilliant. That is the way that you look at this thing that could be called unfair. And that is how you assess it. And that is what Michael Kelly did with his two-year-old who had cancer. His two-year-old Joshua beat it, but he had to learn to believe in God despite a broken world. That's exactly what Solomon is explaining, a broken world. They had to learn to be Christians and walk in the light of Christ's promises despite the dark shadows of earthly pain. And just this week, this is what he writes. This is the day. If Solomon was writing about all of life and the cycle of life, this is the day. Sounds easy enough, doesn't it? But take a look at your schedule. Take a look at your agenda. Take a look at the host of things that simply must be done this day. Consider how many of them are a part of a regular routine of life. And it becomes more problematic. Rejoice in paying the bills. Rejoice in the pickup or the drop-off line. Rejoice in the folding of laundry or the making of lunches. Maybe not. Combine that with the fact that this might well be the day when everything changes and it becomes even more difficult. This day might be the day of a diagnosis or the car accident or the conversation or whatever. Inasmuch as you might have a carefully crafted schedule and to-do list, no doubt it will be interrupted today, this day. And those interruptions might do more than just throw your schedule off kilter. They might turn your life upside down. The statement is simple. This is the day that the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Despite its simplicity, the rejoicing of the day is contingent upon the weighty assumption packed into the first section. It is only by embracing what's been between the lines of part A that we can really get the part to part B. Here's what it might look like. This is the day. It will be no good it will do me no good to wish for another day, a different day the day that someone else is having, the day, this is the day I've been given, this day full of the mundane and the ordinary, full of the opportunity unexpected, this one, the one that's beginning right now, is the day. This is the day that the Lord has made. Regardless of what the day holds, it is the day that the Lord has made. He is not some cosmic clockmaker who set the universe in motion and stood apart watching it tick away. He is still in the business of making days, and he has made this one for me. And although I know very little of the potential ups or downs or highs or lows of this day it holds, it is nevertheless the one made by the Lord, because it is made by the Lord. I know that along with making it, he has, get, he has also given me the resources I need for it. I have the grace I need, the patience I require, the perseverance, perseverance necessary, the discipline to do and work along with this day he has made and also given me his limitless supply, which I take a hold of by faith. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. That's why I can rejoice. It doesn't mean everything today will make me happy. None of us have a naive, are naive enough to believe that. Surely things today will make me frustrated or sad angry or disappointed, but this is the day. The one that the Lord has made, 
because I know something of the nature and character of God, I can rejoice in this day as one that He has made for me and be glad in it. Trusting that though it might not feel like it at the time, everything that happens today has been filtered through the loving hand of a loving God. Rejoicing in the day at hand means embracing the sovereign work of a loving God. Otherwise, I'll be wishing for another day, feeling bombarded by seemingly random circumstances. I will be far from rejoicing when my head hits the pillow tonight. My friend, today is the first day of the rest of your life. Father, Father, in a few moments, we're going to take communion to recognize what your son did for us on the cross. And then we're going to go from here. As is normal, as this is routine, some will break down, some will talk, some will shake hands and hug and, and meet new people, some will be reacquainted with old friends, and we'll all eventually leave this building. And we'll all get in our cars, or we'll all walk to our homes, and we'll all get to our places, and we'll all eat our food, and we'll all talk, whether it's about what we learned this morning or what we learned last night or what's on the news or what we are encountering. And then we'll do the same thing next week. And I pray, Father, the children of you, who have those who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and have a right to be called children of God, might see that this in the meaningless, futile, repetitious vanity that has been created in a fallen world, that they would see past what is true and see reality with Jesus Christ. I pray for anyone in here today who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that today they would see that long before Sartre, long before Dawkins, long before ancient Roman tombstones were hammered and chiseled out, you had figured it out. And I pray that they would put their questions aside and trust in the one who knows what's coming tomorrow. I pray for those in here who are struggling With, with what life gives us under the sun, but whether it be catastrophe or disobedience or repentance. I pray for those who are here today that they don't know the future. And they don't know what's going to happen. God, I pray for them that they would see life with you as wonderful and that they, through your grace and by your power, and the presence of the Holy Spirit in their life can make it through anything. And so God, would you do a good work in our hearts today? Would you do a good work? You created the earth good. You knew all this was going to happen. You knew Solomon was going to write Ecclesiastes. And you knew I was going to preach it. I pray that there's somebody here today whose life would never ever, ever, 
ever be the same. Because they, they get it. Because you made them get it. Not because of any words preached, not because of any jokes said, but the power of the Holy Spirit working on the heart of the human soul that they would see it and they would go, yes, thank you. Pray these things for your glory, for our good, and for all who hear that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ would be revered, especially. In his name I pray, amen.